anyway, I um, every week on Wednesday at 10 o'clock, and anybody's invited to do this. It's not a group that's based on continual study, but there's a group of folks that come together to look at this, the last Sunday's sermon, and we talk about that for 20 or 30 minutes, and then we anticipate the following Sunday's sermon. So 10 o'clock, we're going to be in the library. Anybody who wants to join us can do that. But it was interesting this week um, because, as Kyle mentioned, it is Baptism of Our Lord Sunday. And in a liturgical year or a church calendar, it's that Sunday where we think about the baptism of Christ and we think about our own baptism if we are baptized or perhaps what baptism means in any given tradition. And we look a little bit at that and understand how that story or that passage about Jesus' baptism now lives and acts in us. And so I was talking about this coming Sunday with the group last week, and I was just feeling led not to preach on the actual baptism. And for me, that's pretty radical. I mean, I've been preaching about 20 years, and I'm not sure I've ever talked about anything but the gospel lessons on this Sunday. So this was kind of a departure for me to think about not the story of the actual baptism of Christ there on the banks of the Jordan River, but to think about the implications of that and what it might mean for those of us who follow a baptized Savior, who perhaps have been baptized ourselves, but who all of us, and for the Methodists, this is the beginning of it, for all of us to whom God has extended a hand has offered grace to live our lives in him. And so I went to the Isaiah text, and it's just, it's just beautiful. I hope hope that there's a message for you here this morning. If you will, please stand while I read Isaiah 42. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, My chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth and in the the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes, what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people to light a light unto the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon for the prison, um, from the prison of those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in my sight. For you, O Lord, have called us to yourself, offered us grace, offered us relationship, offered us life. And it is in the name of the baptized Christ that we pray. Amen. So I think I was drawn to this text because it describes what the anointed of God, how the anointed of God live life. It tells us what sort of things we are to be about. It tells us that we do not need to cry out in the street to make ourselves heard. We're not braggadocious about our faith. We live it. We go into the streets and live and witness with our actions. And this is one of the things that those actions may look like. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. A bruised reed he will not break. We will not take advantage of those who are hurting. Not those claimed by God. That's not part of who we are. This is something else that we are called to look like. Those set apart. Those following Christ. The servant of whom this text speaks. We are to open the eyes of the blind. We are to bring the prisoner out of the the dungeon. We are to set free those who sit in darkness. This is what life looks like for us. As those who follow the anointed Christ, the baptized Christ. We will not be satisfied until justice has been established upon the earth. Justice according to the word of God, not simply the word of humanity. This is what it looks like to be God's people, to be those who worshiped Christ, who went into those waters, though he was without sin, and who came out to live a life of mercy to the hurting, to live a life of freedom to those who were in literal prison of a dungeon, it says, or who were dwelling in darkness, perhaps of their own sin. He would not rest. This is what he did. This is what it looks like. To follow a baptized Savior to be those whom God has set apart in grace. And I love these words because I I just think they name what so many of us need to hear and, and understand about the role of those of us who follow Christ. What we are called to. But I know that none of these tasks, none of these witnesses, none of these ways of being in this world, I know to the bottom of my soul, they will not happen unless we grasp onto verse 6. Unless we consider verse 6 and make it our own and, and respond to the grace that God has offered to us. And so it's verse 6 that I want to spend some time on with you this morning. And I just love it when God can speak in one sentence. It takes a preacher lots of sentences, sorry. But God can sum it all up in just one sentence. And I I see that in this verse 6 and the imagery that is there. Now, I don't remember when I quit holding hands with my children but I do know that I miss it. I don't remember. Probably they let go first, but I don't remember when it happened, but I cherish those days, and I miss those days of just holding hands with a little one, and I get to do it with some of your kids. I love that, but but I miss holding my children's hand. 
And you know that people come into this world with a grasp reflex, right? There are four or five reflexes that we're born with. They are a matter of survival. And infants come into this world and and one of those reflexes is the grasp. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, sometimes the first intimate touch the non-birth mother has with the child is the hand-holding. Or you place your finger in the palm of a hand... And the child just holds on because they know it's the matter of connection. Whether they can think of that sensibly or not, they know that that hand-holding is a matter of connection. It's a matter of survival. It's a matter of perhaps encouraging those of us whom they're just meeting to fall in love with them so that we don't walk away when the diapers are dirty. Right? Right? the way that I think, for at least human beings, they capture our hearts and we can't turn away. Now, have you ever seen a, a primate at the zoo? You know, the little babies, boy, they, they're holding on to mama as mama ambles around the yard and climbs a trip. That's tight, right? Survival. And yet, for us, it's not just survival. It's connection. It's love. It's building relationship in one form or another. And and children will grasp or infants will grasp, I think, for about four or five months. And and then they start to let go. And yet the hand-holding doesn't stop, right? I mean, all of a sudden that reflex becomes a choice. And we hold hands again, perhaps for guidance, for protection, to feel a sense of security or assurance. And it's just part of the ebb and flow of a relationship of a parent to a child, of a caregiver to a child, of someone who dearly loves another person. And so when I read this, chap- this verse 6 in chapter 42, I'm like, that's it. That's it. We are called in righteousness. God says, I am the Lord, your God. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. We couldn't do anything else were it not for that. We might be able to do good deeds and we might be able to carry forth a day or two or what have you. But we could not be faithful if we... Do not hold on or grasp that text. Understand that text. I, the Lord, I have called you forth in righteousness. I have held you by the hand and kept you. And there is that sense, again, of connection building, of relationship building. It's described here in poetry or prophetic word, but we know it to be true as believers. God has called us forth in righteousness. God has taken us by the hand and kept us, making everything else possible. Every action of faith, every ebb and flow of faithfulness and sin and forgiveness, all of this, again, God has extended that hand of grace. God has held us by the hand and kept us close. And I just think that's one of the most beautiful images we have in Scripture of the depth of God's love. I have called you. I have kept you by the hand. Now, I think perhaps what was coming up for me, and maybe for those of us who were talking about the text for this Sunday, 2020 has been a heck of a year. I don't know, but I mean, we're only two weeks in. And we are facing 
all kinds of chaos. Chaos in our midst, perhaps, personally, absolutely, there's chaos, brokenness, relationships. But, but even all around us, collectively, we face chaos. I mean, there, there are natural disasters in Puerto Rico. They've had two earthquakes just in the last few days. And there are natural disasters there, and there are disasters made by human action here in our country. And, and we face that chaos and that uncertainty. And I have a feeling that's not going to resolve itself anytime soon. But we, we face this chaos, not only natural disaster, but chaos that we create for ourselves. We're facing the chaos in Australia, the fires created both by human choice and by natural disaster meeting together and breaking forth in ways that are destructive. And again, I'm just speaking of the chaos that we all have borne witness to. I'm not talking about what's going on again in each and every life. Although if I base it on my own, I know lives are chaotic. And so it was so helpful to me and so reassuring for me to hear this text again because it is so tender and so loving despite the chaos, despite the confusion, despite the brokenness in our world, in our lives, in our families, in our church, despite all of that, God still says, I have called you in righteousness and I have you by the hand. Don't let go. Perhaps that's what a reaffirmation or renewal of our baptism is. It's our response simply saying, God, you've done what you could do. You've reached out. You've called us. You've provided the grace. You have taken us by the hand. And we're called upon perhaps today more than any other day to consider our grasp, our reflexes. And perhaps children do it so much more easily than adults, infants, toddlers. As they grow up, somewhere along the way in our developmental stage, we too begin to let go. We too begin to wander and to wonder, to cry out, to hope, to sin, to be forgiven, to offer mercy, extend grace to others. It's just what the life of faith is all about. And yet it is grounded, don't let go, in the hand of God. That ever extends to us as any loving parent, any loving caregiver, any loving friend. I have kept you. I am holding you by the hand. What are you going to do? What is our response? And, and I think that this, again, is so perfect for those of us. We're going to move on from that verse 6 that I love so much back into, uh, uh, into verse 9. Because this is where our 2020 sight comes together. We're talking about two senses here. We're talking about sight and touch. And when we hold somebody by the hand, unless we're playing a game, we're walking forwards, not backwards. And even if we're playing the game, the first stumble we quit, right? God has called us by the hand to guide us forward into that future that God has in store for us. I am the Lord, and that is my name. My glory I give to no other. See, the former things have come to pass. Praise God for the former things. 
For they have built a sure foundation. They have given us that foundation upon which we stand. But the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. New things I now declare before they spring up. I'm telling you all about it. God has guided us by the hand grasped us by the hand to lead us forward, to see those new things that God is now declaring. And before they spring up, God is telling us all about it. And we hold on and we put one step in front of the other and we seek to live in faithfulness, constantly responding to what God is doing in our lives and to be part of what is going on. And all of that is wrapped up again into this God has taken us by the hand and bouncing back. I am leading you forward. I am showing you that new future. Come along with me so that you may be a light unto the nations. Back to verse 6. I have given you as a covenant people to be a light unto the nations. We have that call by God, that grace, that grasp of grace. We have that call to look forward, to walk with God into the future, to see the new things that God is doing, to be a part of it as we walk hand in hand with God, as we have accepted that hand of grace and grasped back, holding on, so that we may be a light unto the nations so that we may be part of what God is doing in this world as God's people always have, offering blessing Offering provision, offering guidance, doing what we need to do in tandem with God so that our witness is a light unto the nations. We don't do it for ourselves, basically. And that's been part of God's character since the very beginning of covenant. That's been part of what God is doing through God's people since that early covenant with Abraham, right through the new covenants through Christ. I have grasped you by the hand. I am leading all of us into the future. I am about to do a new thing. I want you to be a part of it so that my people may continue to bless this world. That's us. That's who we are. John Wesley talked about the sacrament of baptism, infant baptism. Not only Methodist baptized believers, if you have not been baptized before, but he talked about that with language of covenant. And a covenant is two beings, entities coming together and agreeing here in this case to do life together and to be a part of what each other is doing. You have the one, the parent, grasping the hand and guiding, and then you have those of us holding the hand and following. And it's part of participating in the new covenant. And I love this image is from the pilgrimage that I went on in um, end of August, beginning of September, and we had just come across the North Sea. Part of the pilgrimage is you cross the sea when the tide is out, and so you're walking in mud, basically, for three miles. The last three miles are in mud, and, and you had, I had just done, okay, believe it or not, I'd just done 18 miles to get there, and I was tired and exhausted and crying and emotional, and I was dirty, and I walk into the chapel of St. Mary's, and there is their baptismal font, and I was overwhelmed 
And this picture seems to me to be Isaiah 42, verse 6. It is the Holy Spirit coming down, that child lifting up, and you know it's going to take flight. And they're going to go together, and they're going to be about what God would have them do in this world. Only possible through God's grace. And only possible when we respond and reach up and take hold and hang on for whatever that new thing is that God's about to do. So we move into this time of of covenant renewal. And perhaps you haven't been baptized. Let us know if you are interested in that sacrament later. But, But we move on now to simply a time of remembering that God has reached down to us, claimed us, called us, equipped us, offered us the hand of grace. All we need to do is reach back out. And then in this image, take flight to work with God for that new day of which we get to be a part. And so what we're going to do, you're going to be invited, you are invited to come up here in just a minute and um, come forward, simply touch the water before you. You may want to kneel on either side on these kneeling cushions, but just simply remember, however it is, and maybe you're hearing it for the first time, that God's grace is for you. So I'm going to invite you to take the insert in your bulletins out, flip it to the side that says Wesleyan Covenant Prayer Contemporary Version. We'll do that one, but I want us to close um, with this prayer as we pray it together. I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put a work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. You are mine, and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Sociologist Brene Brown says that the paradox of love is holding on and letting go. And in that sense, I think for us today, that paradox of love is holding on Receiving that grace and then letting go as we head forth into this world so that all may see and know that all may be blessed by what God wants to do through us. Go in the name of Christ. Amen.